following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, page 735 in your pew Bibles, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Amazement. That truly is a good title for this series. So we are amazed at the glory of Jesus Christ. This morning I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I will be reading from the ESV this morning. This is the Word of God. It is the truth, and it is a precious gift. May you hear the word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word for his people this morning. May you receive it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things out of your word, turn our attention to you. May we sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his teaching. And be doers of the word and not hearers only. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, here at Westminster, we stand with Christians throughout the centuries and with Jesus himself when we believe that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And so we take the preaching of the word of God very seriously. And we work, we work hard to get it right. That is, we want the main point of our messages to line up with the main point of the passage that we are preaching. We aim to show you the treasure that is already there in the text. Not our own ideas or our own thoughts, but what God has already given us in His Word. And so it's always helpful to look at the context of the passage that we are preaching, what comes before it, and even what comes after it. And so this morning it's helpful for us to remember where we are at in the Gospel of Luke. For that will inform and guide us as we try to discern the main point that Luke is teaching us here at the end of chapter 10. That Jesus is teaching us, indeed that God himself is teaching us. 
And so if you turn back a page in your Bible to Luke chapter 9, you might remember that a key statement was made in verse 51, where the Bible says this, When the days drew near for him, for Jesus, to be taken up, that is, to ascend into heaven, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You might remember that Dr. Rogers preached on this passage, and he told us that Jesus here is resolving to fulfill the mission for which God has sent him into the world, to die for the sins of his people, to seek and to save the lost. So Luke's focus on Christ will now center around the teaching of Jesus. Jesus has about six months to live. He knows this. He knows why he has come. And he knows that he's headed to the cross. So with that in mind, Jesus is very purposeful on his journey to Jerusalem. He's very deliberate in his actions and his teachings. And he's teaching his disciples what it means to follow him. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? And here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus will reveal the one thing that is necessary. The foundation, the essential priority. If you want to follow Jesus, don't miss this point. The one thing that is necessary. What is it? Well, the answer Jesus gives is the one thing that is necessary is to receive the love and truth of Jesus Christ. The one thing that is absolutely essential for every one of you here today, for every person who, have, who has ever lived, is to receive the love and truth of Jesus Christ and to rest in that love and revolve your life around that truth, that one essential thing. Now, to help us understand or unpack what that means, I want us to just ask three simple questions of our passage this morning. The first one is, what did Martha do? The second one is, what did Mary do? And then the third question is, what did Jesus say? I think as we look at those questions, it'll help us see what is happening here and what Jesus wants us to learn. So the first question, Martha, what did Martha do? What's going on here? Well, we mentioned Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die for the sins of his people, and he enters this village, the village of Bethany, where perhaps he is meeting this family for the first time. Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, though he's not mentioned here in this passage. But the way Martha is introduced, it seems like this might be the very first time Jesus meets them, though it would not be his last. They would become very dear to him, and he would visit them often, and we'll come back to that later. But what does it say? Verse 38 tells us that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. So that seems like a good start, right? Martha's doing something good. No problem there. But I think what we see here is Martha is trying to live out the lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan. She's aiming to love her neighbor. She's striving to serve Jesus. She's welcoming him into her home. Think about what she did. She took Jesus in. She's preparing a meal, a place to stay. Imagine if you were away from home and you needed a place to stay. You had nowhere to stay. You had no food. You were hungry. You needed a meal. You would want someone to care for you, to provide for you. And back in these days, in that day with Jesus and Mary and Martha, 
You know, they didn't get online and book a hotel room in advance with a swimming pool and a free continental breakfast and wireless internet in your room. It didn't work like that. They depended on the hospitality of strangers. And that's what Martha is doing here. She's providing Jesus with a place to stay on this, his difficult journey, with a meal that he needed. And so at first glance, it appears that Martha did the right thing, the good thing. The service that she's providing is necessary, even commendable. Indeed, in the Bible, we are commanded to serve others in the name of Christ, to practice hospitality. But there's more going on here, isn't there? If you keep reading, you come to verse 40, and it tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted with much serving. Now, what does that mean? I think what it means is that Martha was overwhelmed by all the work that had to be done. She was stressing out all these things that needed to be done to serve Jesus. She's thinking there are rooms to get ready, a bed to be prepared. There is food to be bought, a meal to make. There are tables to be set. Time is running short. Her to-do list is growing and she can't keep up and she gets distracted from the main thing, the one thing that is necessary. And then what she does, what she says, reveals the attitude of her heart, the sin of her heart. Verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, and just think about what's happening here. Jesus is teaching in her home. And Martha goes up to Jesus and interrupts him. Can you imagine? She goes up to Jesus and interrupts him as he's teaching. But then what does she say? She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. See, what Martha says reveals her heart, her attitude. It reveals at least two things for us. First, she doubted the love of Jesus, and second, she did not submit to his truth. Martha doubted the love of Jesus. Lord, do you not care? Do you not care about all this work that I am doing for you? Do you not care about all the good things that I am doing? My sister is not helping. Do you not care? Do you not love me? We can identify with Martha, can't we? Because we also doubt the love and care of Jesus. We ask similar questions. Lord, do you not care that my wife is suffering this sickness? Do you not care that my loved one has died? Do you not care that I don't have a job? Do you not care that we can't pay the bills? Do you not care that I have done the right thing to honor you and it has cost me my job? Do you not care that my spouse doesn't love me? Or Lord, do you not care that I do not have a spouse? Jesus, do you not care that I am alone without a friend? Lord, do you not care that my parents fight all the time? Do you not care that though we as parents have taught our children faithfully your ways, they are rebelling against you Jesus, do you not care? 
Or as the disciples, Jesus, the storm is raging and we are going to die. Do you not care? Do something, we cry out. See, we can identify with Martha's interruption. But perhaps like Martha, see, she didn't realize that the very presence of Jesus in her home, on this planet that he had created, was a sign of his care for her. She had forgotten the words of the prophet Isaiah, where he said, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Martha did not realize that the presence of Jesus, God in the flesh, with ears to hear these words of accusation from lips that he had created was a sign of his care for her. Maybe she had forgotten the words of the psalmist in Psalm 138, where he says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. See, Martha did not realize That this journey that Jesus was on to Jerusalem, where he would suffer and die in her place to pay the penalty for her sin that she was struggling with right there in his presence. This journey would lead him to take the wrath of God for her sin and his own body on the tree. That this was the ultimate sign of his care for her. Jesus loved her. She had not yet read the words that had not yet been written in 1 John. Where we're told, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, Martha did not realize that here. In her presence, standing in her home, right before her was love and truth incarnate. In the flesh. That she could reach out and touch and grab and interrupt. She was missing it. What about you? Are you doubting his love this morning? If so, may you doubt no more. May you not miss it. May you not miss him. Not only did Martha doubt the love of Jesus, but she did not submit to his truth, his teachings, to the word of God. She tells Jesus what to do. All right, a little aside here for you parents that have multiple children. Have you ever had a child come up to you and complain about what another child is doing? Have you ever had a child come up to you and tell you to tell another child what to do in your home? Jesus knows how you feel. May we be as gracious as he was in his response. That's just a little side, but think about what's happening here. She's telling Jesus what to do. So what is she really doing? What she's really doing is she's putting God on trial, just like the lawyer did in the parable of the Good Samaritan right before this. She puts God on trial, and he is found to be lacking in her sight. Martha tells Jesus what to do. She doesn't believe that he is doing his job. He 
is in the wrong in her eyes. Just as Mary is. So whether it's Jesus tell her to help with the dishes. Or whether it's God heal my wife of cancer. Placing yourself in judgment over God is a dangerous place to be. See, Martha had set herself up as judge, and she found herself as righteous. She was her own truth. She was trying to justify herself like the lawyer in the parable. But why did Martha want Jesus to tell Mary to help her? Have you thought about that? It's because she believed that what she was doing was right, and what Mary was doing was wrong. What she was doing was better. What Mary was doing was worse. Martha believed that she was justified by what she was doing. She was righteous. Mary was not. She was better than Mary. And beloved, that is the danger. The deadly danger of religion. Placing your value in what you do. Thinking you are better than others. Resenting, judging those who are not doing what you are doing. And this points us to the essential difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. And maybe you have heard this before. But all the other religions of the world are spelled D-O. Do. All about what we can do to earn our standing with God, to make ourselves righteous. But Christianity is oh so different. It is spelled D-O-N-E, done. All about what Jesus Christ has already done on our behalf to make us righteous in his sight. All about what Jesus has done that we could not do for ourselves. You ever think about what Luke must have been thinking as he was writing his gospel? And we just had uh, Keith Greer teaching us downstairs in the senior high Sunday school, the book of Acts, and he pointed out to us that Luke was the only Gentile author of a book in the New Testament. Think about that. Think about the difference between Christianity and all the other religions of the world. What good news this must have been to Luke. What joy he must have had in sharing this with others. Because what he's saying here is this good news is open to everyone. You do not have to be a Jew to enter in. You do not have to be good to enter in. You admit your weakness and come to Christ. See, Luke is teaching us that you cannot love your neighbor as yourself apart from the work of Jesus in your life, apart from receiving the love and truth that is offered in Jesus Christ. Well, how shocked Martha must have been to hear Jesus' response. It wasn't what she expected. You do not go up to Jesus and interrupt him and tell him what to do unless you think you are right. But oh, how wrong she was. Jesus responds in his loving, gracious way. It was a rebuke nonetheless, but it was given in love. But he says, no, Martha, you have got it all wrong. Martha... Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. See, Martha shows us that the one thing that is necessary is not what we do for Jesus. Yes, we do love God and our neighbor in practical ways, but that loving must flow from what Jesus has done for us. 
from his ongoing ministry to us, not ours to him. And we see this in Mary. So our second question is, Mary, what did Mary do? And it's very simple. You look at the text, you see in verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary models for us the one thing that is necessary. She was receiving the love of Jesus and gladly yielding to his truth. You know, to sit at somebody's feet, it doesn't just uh, imply attention, but also submission. She wanted to hear and she was submitting to what he said. She was not standing up to confront Jesus or to justify herself like the lawyer had done, like her sister Martha had done, but she was ready and eager to listen and to learn and to believe. And so she sat right in that front row, right at Jesus' feet. She was removing the distractions. She didn't want to miss a word. She wanted to hear everything that God was saying to her. And that only makes sense, right? If God is speaking, we should be listening. Mary wanted to hear. She removed the distractions. What about you? Have you removed the distractions from your life? No, maybe you are distracted right now. But this is worth listening to. This word of God is worth preparing for. It is worth working at. Maybe you stayed up a little too late last night. You're having trouble staying awake. Jab the person next to you if that's the case. Maybe you're thinking about the football game yesterday or the picnic that you're going to have later today or tomorrow and whether or not it's going to rain. And maybe you're thinking about having a day off tomorrow and all the the things you're going to enjoy or maybe all the work you have to get done on your day off. Maybe you're a student. You're thinking about all the homework you have to do or the movie you saw last night is running through your mind, the scenes you remember. Are you distracted this morning? Have you prepared? Have you come Expecting God to speak. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. I had the privilege of preaching here about a month ago on a Sunday evening. And as I walked in, I saw one of the parents uh, of a a kid in the the youth ministry. And I'm going to try to keep his name out of it. So to protect the innocent or the guilty, whatever you decide. But I, as, as, he was, as the parent was walking in, the child was not with him. So I went up to him and I, said, I greeted him, hello, and oh, I'm sorry not to see your child with you tonight. And his response to me was, yeah, well, they said they've heard you preach before. I said, okay, I can handle that. If all my sermons sound like Jesus, that's fine. But as I thought about that, it made me think of this. You know, if, if you are here to hear me preach, if you are here to hear Troy De Bruin, preach. Not only are you here for the wrong reason, not only will you be disappointed, but you will miss the feast. You never come to hear a man preach. You come to hear Almighty God speak words of truth and life to you from His Word, to worship and adore Him, to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to His teaching. Amen? It's a tremendous supernatural opportunity and privilege. And it is an awesome responsibility to stand in this pulpit and bring you the Word of God.
Yes, it is a tremendous privilege to be able to spend the bulk of my week sitting at the feet of Jesus and trying to discern what he is teaching us, but it is a tremendous responsibility, and you ought to pray for your pastors, and you ought to prepare your own heart to hear from God. You see, this amazing moment we have this morning, ordained by God for his blood-bought people to come together, this is a unique Opportunity. This is a supernatural opportunity for you to hear from God. But you know, we don't only have this opportunity on Sunday mornings. We have it on Sunday evenings as well. Normally, not tonight, but normally. And what I always tell the teens is this. I say, you know, if you're not here on Sunday night, you're missing a blessing. You're missing an opportunity to hear God speak. So why should you come on Sunday morning or Sunday night? It's not because you need to do for Jesus. No, it's because you need Him to do for you. There's a feast set before you. Well, church is not the only opportunity that we have to hear the Word of God. No, we have been blessed. Unlike Martha, we have the entire written Word of God. That we can go to any day, any time, and feast on Christ. I imagine most of you have more than one copy of the Bible in your homes. And if you don't have a copy at all, feel free to take one from our church. We want you to have the Word of God. But we can feast on Christ as we read His Word and as we speak its truth to one another. Is something distracting you from that privilege? You know, I heard one pastor say, um, he was speaking to teenagers, which I think will become clear, but he said this, he said, you know, what's distracting you? Is it, is it Facebook? Well, then you need to get off Facebook and get your face in the book. Is it texting? Then you need to stop texting and get in the text. What is distracting you? See, Mary loved Jesus and his word. Do you? She was eager to hear it, to receive it. Are you The psalmist said, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. May that be our attitude that we, as we come to the living word of God, there is treasure in here. Treasure that we need far more than all the money of this world. True, lasting, eternal treasure at the feet of Jesus. And we have another opportunity that Martha did not have. For we have the living Spirit of God within us, going with us wherever we go. So now what's amazing is we can feast on Christ even as we are serving Him. Right? You meditate on the Word. You memorize the Word. And the Holy Spirit can bring it to your mind even as you do the dishes or set the table or mow the lawn or whatever it may be. We have this great opportunity. Well, beloved, our quiet time with Jesus is not just another item on our to-do list. It's not yet one more thing that we have to do for Jesus. No, it is an opportunity for Jesus to do something for us. An opportunity for us to focus in on the one thing that is necessary to receive the love and truth of Jesus Christ. That leads us to our third question. Jesus, what did he say in this encounter Well, we've seen that he said to Martha, one thing is necessary. 
And he was referring to Mary sitting at his feet and listening to his teaching. And I've explained that by saying it essentially means to receive the love and truth of Jesus Christ. Only one thing is necessary for any of us. But listen, it is not anything that we do for God. Another pastor pointed this out to me. He said that this was Martha's mistake. That was Martha's mistake here. She thought that what she was doing was really important. She thought that was most important was her service for God. But that can never be necessary in the absolute sense because God does not need us. The Bible says that the God who made the heavens and everything in them, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God does not need us. But listen, the fact that God does not need us does not make us unimportant or without value, just the opposite. Because God loves us in spite of not needing us magnifies the wonder of his love. Think of that. We go to people out of the basis of our need. But God comes to us out of the basis of his fullness to give to us. God does not need us, but he wants us. God does not need us, but he loves us. God does not need us, but he pursues us. He gives his son for us. God does not need us. He can do just fine without us, but we are in desperate need of him. You see, what is necessary is not for you or I to serve Jesus, but for us to be served by him. Now, you make no mistake about it. When you are served by Jesus, when you see his glory, you are changed. You are transformed and you will serve him. You will love him. You cannot have one without the other. Being with Jesus changes you. Jesus tells us one thing. Is necessary. But he also commends Mary and his rebuke to Martha. He says something else here at the end of this passage. Not only is one thing necessary, but he says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion. Well, what does that mean? Well, that Greek word there for the good portion is often used to refer to a meal. So catch the irony here. Now, one pastor translates it like this. One thing only is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course, and it won't be taken from her. While Martha was busy preparing a feast, Mary was already having one. She was feasting on Christ. The good portion, the main course, the feast, was Jesus himself. And so maybe Mary was hearing Jesus say something like, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or maybe she was hearing him say something like, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Or maybe she thought of him saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, 
As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whatever it was, what Mary found is that what we do for Jesus is not at the heart of our relationship with him. At the heart of being a follower of Jesus is the fact that Jesus wants to give himself to us. To love us, to show us his glory, that we might worship and adore him. The good portion is Jesus himself. I was reminded of this last Sunday in our senior high Sunday school class as Christy Slothauer shared her testimony with the class. And she said how she grew up in this church and she knew the truth of Jesus Christ and she had heard it. But she came to a point recently where she realized she was missing the best part. She was missing the relationship with Jesus. Are you missing the best part this morning? You know, you might be saying, I've heard this before. I've heard Troy preach before. I've already done this. But the question is, are you living like Martha? Something we all struggle with. But you know what? Martha got it. She was changed. I don't know if it happened this day, but she was changed by her encounter with Jesus, along with her entire family, Mary and her brother Lazarus. Because remember, this wasn't the only time Jesus spent with them. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11, we'll see the next encounter that Martha had with Jesus that's recorded for us in Scripture. And you might remember the occasion Martha and Mary are grieving because their brother Lazarus has died. And he has been dead for four days now. And Jesus finally shows up. He comes to Bethany. And Martha runs out to meet him. And listen to what she says. And listen for how she is changed. John 11, verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha's not telling Jesus what to do. She is submitting to his love, to his truth, to his plan. She's expressing trust in him. She's expressing faith in him. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. How did Martha know that? She must have sat at the feet of Jesus and listened and believed and received his teaching. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says to Martha. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I, Martha, am what you need. I am life. I am love. I am truth. I am the good portion. I am the feast you need. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And what did Martha say? Verse 27, one of the greatest confessions recorded in the Gospels. almost identical to Peter's confession of Christ. Martha says this, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. 
Martha wasn't missing it anymore. She wasn't missing him anymore. She had received the love and truth of Jesus Christ, and it changed her forever. What about you? This is the one thing that is necessary. The call is simple and clear, and it is the call for all of you today. Repent and believe the good news. The best news the world has ever heard. See, this is not just a once and done thing for you. If you're a follower of Christ, it's not something you do once in the past and then you go on. No, it is part of your life every day to repent and believe the good news, to feast on Christ, to admit your need. You are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Being a good person is not what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin, your ways, and turn to Christ. Gladly submit to him. Acknowledge him to be what he already and rightfully is, your creator and your king. And enter into the joy, the greatest joy, of a relationship with the God who made you and loves you and gave himself for you. Make it your aim to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching every day. To behold his glory. And as you do, you will be transformed into his likeness. And you will follow him, the lover of your soul. May we all delight in this feast. On the way to the grandest wedding banquet of all time. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, turn our hearts to you. Show us our need for Jesus. Show us his glory. Turn our affections to you. May we love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.